Last week, we began to lay a foundation for this idea of wonder. That was a whistle-stop tour. We had the privilege of uh, the dedication, but we began to look at this idea of wonder, the idea that we are uniquely made, that we are the handiwork of a creator God. And so this week, I want to build on that foundation, I guess. I want to follow on, because the more I've spent considering wonder, the more I've realized how little I'd grasped it, how little I'd made of it, how little I'd really begun to engage with it, and just how big a thing it was. So I want us to look at Jesus and the example that he gives us of how do we live a life worthy of the wonder that we are made for. So looking at the subject, I've come to a conclusion. I'm very comfortable with my conclusion. My conclusion, first and foremost, is that I am wonderful. I'm so content with that now. I've spent uh, two weeks uh, studying wonder, and I have concluded completely, unashamedly, I am wonderful. Which has generally fallen flat. I was hoping for a level of encouragement, but, you know, we'll go with it. The thing is, a lot of people don't like me knowing that. A lot of people aren't comfortable with me knowing that. Which has led me to my second conclusion. My second conclusion is this. You are all wonderful. You are all wonderful. The problem is, we get a little bit embarrassed by that. Because, actually, that's a little bit uncomfortable to be told that we're wonderful. But over the course of the last fortnight, I've concluded that I am wonderful, that you are wonderful. Which has concluded, finally, I feel like I've done a science experiment. I've really not. My final conclusion is this, that the world would be a better place if we allowed each other to live out the wonder within us. The world would be a better place if we let the wonder within us live out. Instead, we live in a world that seems so content to challenge us and oppress us. The growing truth is that people aren't great at letting others be wonderful. Maybe you relate to this. As humanity, we love to watch a heartwarming story. We love heartwarming stories on the news or in films. We're drawn to them. We laugh at videos of failure. We love the videos of, I don't know if you saw it this week, uh, Nathan Redman, who's a footballer, was in a warm-up game and ran straight into a small goal and fell over. He didn't hurt himself. But it was funny. It, It became viral. Lots of people watched it. But then we seem to question with a level of skepticism Stories of greatness. We question when we see someone excel, when we see goodness. We decide anytime someone does something good, there must be a catch. There has to be some way that they can be brought down. We're waiting for a scandal. We aren't very good at rejoicing in the wonder of others. In a world where we're told to be okay, to blend in is the way to survive. I believe as people of wonder, we are called to stand out in the crowd, to be a light on a hill, to be the people God made us to be. I said this in a meeting, and I've said it a few times this last week, and so I don't believe there's ever been a better time to be wonderful in Christ than in this day and age. I don't think there's been an easier time to show the wonder of who Christ made us to be. So I want you to sit on this truth before I go any further. You are wonderful. As you are. Mistakes, shortfallings, all of the other things that make you who you are. You are wonderful. 
But how does that wonder work? This morning, I'm going to invite Alex up to read for us, and she's going to read from Matthew and the account of Jesus being tempted. Thank you. This morning's reading is taken from Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Okay, I'm just going to stop us there and we're going to pray a second. Father God, I want to thank you so much for your word. God, I want to thank you that as we begin to unpack some of the things that we face in this day and this age, we can look into your word and we can see the example of living for you through Jesus. So God, as we unpick this, I just pray that different elements would speak to us. God, maybe those of us who have heard this many times before will just catch a glimpse of something new. Father, would we leave this place changed by your word? So come in your spirit now, Father. Amen. Okay, so if you're anything like me, uh, you go to a good prayer meeting or you come to a good church service and you leave fired up. You are passionate. The worship's been good. The message was good. The prayer time was great. Something was said. Somehow you come away from it and you are fired up. And Monday is a good day. Monday I wake up and I'm fired up and I'm ready and I read my Bible and I do my prayer time and I'm ready and I'm having coffee without rushing and we get to where we're going on time and it is a good day. I'm fired up. Tuesday morning I'm a little bit milder, still pretty fired up, but as Tuesday rolls around I've started to drift a little bit. I've probably still managed to fit some stuff in in the morning, but it, you know, I didn't sleep so great. By Wednesday I'd probably go as far as saying I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, Sunday was a long time ago. A lot's happened. Thursday comes around, and, you know, I'm beginning to look forward now to the next thing, the next pick-me-up. Friday, the less said about Fridays often is better. Saturday, for some of us, we start to worry about all sorts of things, and actually, we become quite apathetic. Early morning on Sunday, I do not want to have to be up by 11. We can drift in and out sometimes. We begin to get worn down. And for a long time as I grew up, I was told that was a bad thing. That was my fault. That I was actually, I wasn't good enough. Now I want to encourage you, I don't think that's the case for us. Because I think when we look at this little uh, account that we have of Jesus, we begin to see that the reason we get worn down is because the world doesn't like us being up. The world doesn't like it when we're on fire. 
The world isn't used to us being passionate. The world isn't used to people connecting with the wonder that they were made for. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It should come as no surprise to us that life gets to us. It should come as no surprise to us that challenges face us because the world isn't used to it. When we come out fired up, Jesus is hungry, which makes a lot of sense after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. So the devil comes in and brings temptation to him. The devil comes in and challenges the very root of the... It's a cute video. It's a cute video, but we could almost dismiss it as childish. Just dismiss it. It's just children. It's cute. Problem is, I don't think we can dismiss it because I think it's quite an accurate picture of life. I think if we're honest with ourselves, that video is an incredibly accurate picture of the way our weeks can go. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, yet so often we seem to settle for a marshmallow when so much more is promised to us. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We have these promises. We have these promises from God, yet they seem like hard work. They seem so far off. And yet right in front of me is that drink. Right in front of me is that cute co-worker. Right in front of me is that opportunity if I were just to badmouth someone else in the office. Right in front of me is that guaranteed winner at the Grand National. Right in front of me are these tablets. Right in front of me are the perfect trainers. Right in front of you is whatever your marshmallow might look like. And sometimes we think maybe just a nibble, maybe if we just tasted it but we didn't eat it. That'd be okay. The problem is, the longer it goes on, the greater the temptation is, the harder it is to face up to the temptation. God promises so much to us, his children. Yet we listen to the whisper of the world that tells us to sell ourselves short. You don't have to eat the whole thing, just a taste, maybe a small bite. And then suddenly we've eaten so much, we might as well finish off the whole thing. What I find intriguing is that when we see Jesus tempted, I don't know how many of us have considered it, but it's not a new trick. It's not a new trick at all. If we go back to Genesis, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say to you, you can't eat from any trees in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. It is not a new trick that the devil pulls on Jesus. And it's not a new trick that's being pulled on us. 
I concluded something at the beginning of this service. You are wonderful. You, each of you, every single one of you are wonderful. You were knitted together. And the template that was used for you, the template that you were designed on, Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind, me and you, in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. It's crazy to think that within us, within each and every one of us, we hold the very DNA of God. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. And the devil doesn't like you. So please be encouraged. There'll be things in your life that tempt you. It's not a new trick. And the reason they are there is because you are wonderful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the image that was used to craft you was God himself. But the devil tries again. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Maybe you're one of those people that has really good self-control. If we had the marshmallow test here, you would end up with two marshmallows. Because you could do the thing that poor kid did where he nearly put it in his mouth, threw it away. Maybe that's you. The problem is, the devil doesn't give up there. This time he takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. There's people milling around below and he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off. Throw yourself off because the angels will come and say you. Modern day translation I feel is the devil saying, I bet you couldn't jump off here and survive. Bet you couldn't do that. I bet if you tried, you wouldn't, it wouldn't work. If the devil challenged Jesus first time, if we are challenged, uh, sorry, if we are tempted first time, this one is a straight up challenge. I don't know if you've considered this. Water into wine is a pretty good introduction for Jesus. Water into wine was a pretty good introduction to the world. But jumping from the highest temple and having angels catch you and gracefully place you back on the ground in front of an audience, that's an entrance. If I was in charge of like heaven's PR, for Jesus' arrival on earth, I think I would have not used Bethlehem, it was too low-key, and his first miracle would have been to jump off something in front of a huge crowd, and angels appear, gracefully place him on earth, and everyone at that point is going to be like, he's a big deal. But he didn't. He didn't. Because sometimes in life, we let pride kick in. We want to show people we are capable. We want to meet the expectations. We want to be seen to have it all together. We feel like there is something to prove. Please hear this next bit. The world around us has decided on a standard. The world around us has decided on a standard and we are challenged by it every day. For different people, it's different things. We aren't thin enough. We don't buy the right clothes. We don't listen to the right music. We don't go to the right places. We aren't dignified enough. We aren't loud enough. We aren't Welsh enough. We aren't rich enough. It's all we aren't, we aren't, we aren't. The world tells us that we aren't enough. The world, from the youngest to the oldest, sets out a collection of challenges to meet a standard that is ever-changing unattainable, 
and will only ever leave us feeling empty, further from an imaginary goal, and more self-aware and vulnerable than we were before we started. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is the end of the discussion. That is the end of the discussion. If God stamped his approval on you, which he did when he knitted you together using himself as a template, then everything the world challenges you with is a lie. It's a shortcut, it's unimaginative, and it's unfulfilling. Be it posters, magazines, the radio, TV, music, movies, WhatsApp conversations, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, newspapers, or even your friends, everything is challenging us to fit in to conform, to go with the flow. But please hear this. You are made for more. You are made for more. Whatever standard it is you think you need to meet because the world told you so, you don't. You are fearfully, wonderfully made, and that is the end of it. Why are you made for more? Colossians 1, 10 to 11, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. It's one thing to accept that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but God isn't finished there. When the world tells you you're not enough, when doubts creep in, when you're dared to drop your standards to conform to the ways of the world, remember that God, God with all of the power, will strengthen you so that you can endure. Please hear this. Please hear this because it affects us in so many ways. You are enough. You are enough. Who you are, made in the image of God, is enough and the world will tell us all sorts of other things not one to give up and as we come to a close we talk about this final challenge that the devil sets out I feel like at this point he is definitely running short of ideas again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kings of the world and their splendor all this I will give to you he said if you bow down and worship me I don't know if you've noticed, but all things that the devil brings to the table are fairly similar. We began with that temptation. Then you've got that challenge. Finally, you finish with an offer. I don't know if you can see the pattern in your own lives that sometimes things tempt us, try and turn our heads. Then maybe it plays on our pride. And then finally, we're given an offer that seems too good to be true, an opportunity that is too good to turn down. Something so wonderful, so big, so much potential. Exactly like Jesus has shown. All the kingdoms. Think of all the things he could do. Think of all the things that you could do with that promotion. If you could just get that relationship. If you were given the credit for that. If you could have your name up in lights, the satisfaction, the praise. But what's the cost? That's the thing I've taken from this little challenge. What's the cost? And the cost that the devil lays out for Jesus is if you will bow down and worship me. If you will bow down and worship me. You were knitted together in your mother's womb. The creator of the world, the creator of the world 
stamped you with a personal design. Let that sink in. And then somehow we believe that the world offers such great rewards, so much potential, all this satisfaction. But what's the cost? What's the cost? It may be that you'll never worship the world by getting down on your knees and worshipping it like that. It may be that you never go that far. But in Matthew we read that we can't have two masters. So whenever we let the offer of the world sit on the table, our head begins to get turned. We begin to risk serving that second master. Up on that mountainside, the offer looked good, but the cost was too high. I think the problem for us is that we rarely count the cost when the offer in front of us is so good. I love uh, cop films. We were having a discussion about Hot Fuzz earlier. But I love that moment where they capture someone. It seems fairly inevitable. Sorry for those of you that I'm ruining every cop film in the world for. But it's a fairly inevitable storyline. There's one who gets like, shot in the leg or they're, they're not quick enough and they get caught. And they get taken to a room that is uh, very uncomfortable and they're interrogated. And there's always an offer. Always an offer. If you tell us who else was involved, we might go gently on you. I'm fairly sure we use exactly the same policy in school when we catch the one kid that we know did it and try and get them to grass up on all their friends. But it's an interesting idea, isn't it? If you just tell us who else was involved, we might let you off a little bit lighter than them. The problem is, for a lot of these people in these films, the people involved are good friends. Maybe they're family. But the cost is, I could have decreased prison time. I could, spend, I could be in less trouble. I just have to give up my friends and my family. Whenever we are offered something that we don't deserve... Whenever we are offered something that we haven't earned, whenever we're offered something that isn't rightfully ours, there will be a cost, and oftentimes that cost will be at the expense of someone else. When the world offers us something, there's always a catch. The irony is the devil stood with Jesus, offering back to him something he created and stood there Jesus knew that if he bowed the knee to the devil the price would be death for me if Jesus had bowed his knee to the devil at that point the price would have been your life because his one purpose when he came to earth was to save us and he knew that at the very beginning if he made that mistake if he bowed down to that temptation to that offer then he would no longer be able to go to the cross and die for my sins he knew the cost was too great when he looked at it it was too great temptation challenges and offers the devil has no new games so in closing, I want to encourage you, if the devil has no new games, then we don't need a new game plan. If he's doing the same trick over and over again, and if you look through history, it's the same trick, the same trick, the same trick. If that's the case, then we can use the same defense that Jesus used. He was hungry. He was tempted 
Jesus answered, it is written. He was taken to the highest temple, challenged to throw himself down, and Jesus answered, it is also written. He was taken to a mountain to see the splendor of all the kingdoms, and Jesus said in response to the devil, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made, we get a guidebook that goes with it. Not only are we created in the image of God, he then decided that because we're human and we seem to be fairly good at making mistakes, he would then bless us with the Bible so that we could read about what to do when the world challenges us. We could engage with the history of everything that's gone on. Please understand me as I say this. The Bible is not designed to make us look intelligent. It's not designed to make us look intelligent. It's not just a book for the preacher to study. It's not just a book to put out on the coffee table when the religious members of our family come around and we want them to think that it's used. It is for way more than that. Somehow this book has become a chore. It's become a burden. It's become a yoke around our neck. Somehow we made the most amazing thing that we have tangibly in front of us something that we put on a shelf, that we leave behind. But when the devil comes to Jesus and tempts him, when he challenges his authority, when he offers him riches, Jesus doesn't pull out some clever plan. He doesn't go and meet with his accountability group or his connect group. He doesn't ring his pastor. He doesn't blast out Graham Kendrick songs. When the devil knocks on the door of Jesus and tempts him, Jesus' response is scripture. Jesus responds to the challenges of the world with scripture. And I would challenge you, that's where we should be going too. That's where we should be going to. How awesome is this book? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God is for you. God is for you. The world makes it tough. We make mistakes. We mess up. But a broken world is looking for healing. Those in darkness are waiting for someone to bring light. The lost are looking for someone to help them find their way. The world is watching and waiting. Jesus shows us if we want to be set apart, be ambassadors for Christ, be that light on a hill, then we need to be in this book. We need to be reading it, to be praying with it, to engaging with it with pens and colors and whatever it is that works for us. But somehow we have made the weapon that Jesus used to overcome the devil's temptations an optional extra, if it fits in my bag that morning. An optional extra. After everything I've said, the idea of setting a challenge seemed ironic. So instead I want to put an action point as I close. I want to ask you this will you join me in reading your bible every day this week for some of you may already do it awesome some of you like me might struggle will you join me in reading your bible for the next seven days will you unlock your phone open the bible app not be distracted by the other things that come in will you read every day now hear this i'm not telling you what to read I'm not telling you where to go I'm not telling you how long to read for. 
I'm not telling you what translation you need to read. I'm not telling you where you need to be when you read. I'm not telling you what drink you need, what kind of pens you should use. I'm not telling you anything other than asking, will you join me in reading your Bible for the next seven days? Why? The reason is this. You are wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. You are flipping amazing. The more time I've spent looking at wonder, the more I am sure that we are amazing. Sat, sorry, in front of me is the very image of God. The very image of the creator God laid within us. And this simple book This is the living word of that creator God. The living word of the creator God. And I want to know God more. I want to know him more. I want to know the plans he has for my life. I want to be better when it's dark at being light. I want to be a stronger taste of salt in a world that is bland. I want to be able to stand face to face with the devil and tell him to get away from me with the authority of God's word on my tongue. That's why I want to read it. So I invite you to read the most powerful book in the world for seven days. And I pray that as you do, this text, not the things I'm saying, this text will remind you that you are full of wonder. And you can make a difference in this world.